0: Welcome to TK Stories, Leadership Edition, a podcast that shines the light on our very own TK leaders who truthfully and courageously share their real life stories while giving us insight and inspiration on how to navigate our own leadership journeys. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Juni Sato, Director, Global Finance and Accounting Shared Services in our Manila office. Judy just celebrated her 10th anniversary with TK. We talked about her initial hesitation in applying for her current role, what she's focusing on as a new director, and some of the influential leaders that have inspired her along the way. I also checked in with Junie's manager, Brian Forche, to get his perspective, and also connected with Claire Booth, author of The Achiever Fever Cure, to unpack a little bit more about why Junie hesitated on reaching for that promotion in the first place. So with that, please welcome Junie Sato. Junie and I started our conversation by reminiscing on the recruitment process for the director role. When the vacancy opened, the initial search was focused on external candidates. And at one stage in the process, Junie was clearly proving to be the best person for the job. Junie herself wasn't so sure about that. Here's what she had to say.
1: I've had... um prior conversations as well um, about potentially applying for the director role. And it was clear to me then that it was not something that I am interested in. Okay. My assessment is that I was not ready for it. And the department deserves someone who is already ready to take on the role. Right. And another consideration for me as well was that we may be losing on the benefits of bringing someone in externally. Someone from the outside would have maybe industry knowledge and best practices that he or she can bring to the company. So the big
0: thing, it wasn't on your radar. Um, And then there's a couple of themes too, just around you thinking that there might be some better ideas out there. You weren't quite ready. Um, And I also want to dive in a bit more to this idea around your own personal expectations. Because I think we hear these stories quite often that people feel like they're not quite ready enough uh, to dive into new and bigger challenges. And a lot of times that not ready enough feeling comes from our own inner voice. It sounds like you can relate to that based on what you're saying. What was your inner voice telling you? Is there anything else you can share around that?
1: Yeah, it was something I very much can relate to. First and foremost, I feel that the director role will require a more strategic skill set, something that I may not have in-depth experience on. My role then was my comfort zone, as as I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. I know the ins and outs of accounts payable, having gone through several system changes, several um, increase in scope, and having to deal with different AP process being brought to Manila. So I was comfortable with that. Well, you
0: you did end up pushing yourself out of your comfort zone for sure, because you did decide to officially take on the role. What was that turning point for you? Like what made you decide, you know what, I can do this.
1: Can you tell us more about that? We already had someone who we were expecting to join the company then and who we really really feel so strongly about. We were excited um, to have him join the company. And when that didn't, turned out, um, we, we I, I personally was disappointed. Um, it was already a long time that we didn't have anyone in that role. And perhaps it was high time that I try it out. And what made that, that decision then for me easier was the fact that Brian has agreed that I take it on probationary basis, if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, I can also assess if it's a role that I can contribute greater value and it will also be um, a good time for the department, for the team and for the company to assess whether I'm fit for that particular role. Before Junie fully committed, she
0: wanted to test the waters and tackle some of that self-doubt that she was feeling. A big part of that was also letting others assess if she was the right fit for the job too. Getting some of that validation was helpful for her to move forward. I talked to her manager Brian Forche and he had a different view. Here's what Brian had to say.
2: One of the things that I'm very proud of with Junie is that she started out on the team um, in a you know lower level position and she's worked hard and demonstrated um, competence in the role but also grown as a leader over the years and it's been very gratifying to see that growth in her and see the respect that she gets from the rest of the team, from the staff that worked for her, uh, to her peers, to senior leadership. Everyone saw her as the right candidate to take on that role. From early on in her career with TK, one of the ways that people described Junie was as a natural leader. Um, she seemed to naturally capture the respect of the, the people that she met with. She was always thoughtful and respectful. and yet articulate and principled, um, provided her views when appropriate, and and she listened to others as well. So while it took a while for Junie to recognize in herself what the rest of us saw in her, um, we're very grateful that she eventually accepted the role, and she's really excelling in it. You know, we all have to learn in our roles, and, and just because you assume a new role, whether it's an accountant or a CEO, there is a there is a period of, of learning and, and developing your own style and she's probably still going through that a bit because mm-hmm. she's still relatively new to the role but from my perspective she's uh, hit the ground running and, and she's really actually learned quite quickly. One of the things I've said to her from the beginning is you have to be yourself and you have to lead in your own way however you are comfortable doing that. I think that does come naturally to her and I think She just has to realize that that is, in fact, the way others see her.
0: Wise words from a seasoned leader. Brian gave Junie the space to stretch her wings and build her confidence. And look at her now. She's doing a fantastic job in her role. We'll hear more from Junie in a moment. Junie's not alone in feeling this way. We all struggle with self-doubt from time to time. To shed some light on this topic, I talked to Claire Booth, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author of The Achiever Fever Cure, How I Learned to Stop Striving Myself Crazy. In her book, she talks about the voice of her inner critic, the voice that tells us, you can't do this, you're not smart enough, or you're going to fail. Claire decided to give her inner critic a name. I talked to her about her research and tips to overcome this voice in her head. Here's what she had to say.
3: The first time I can remember hearing that negative voice in my head, I was about seven years old, Mm -hmm. and it's been with me ever since. And it pushes me, and it pulls me, and it gets angry at me. And for the longest time, I just thought it was me, and I, I wasn't able to separate the me and the voice. I just assumed the voice was me, and doing some awareness work around that inner critic and bringing it from sort of the back of my mind or right between my eyes by acknowledging that it exists, by understanding it's just a voice, it just tends to be really dominant, and then um, by naming it and giving it like an image. So I named mine the judge, Mm
1: -hmm. and I didn't have
3: to think too hard about that name because all of the things that the, the judge would say would be so judgmental. Largely along the lines of, you're not enough. You're not good enough, smart enough, trying hard enough, working hard enough. I had to constantly run to keep ahead of that judgmental voice. And of course, when you judge yourself so critically, you can't help but judge others as well.
0: I think a lot of us can relate to hearing that voice in our head. And we spend way too much time listening to it. What were some of the steps that you took to take control of that voice?
3: The first thing that I had to do was call it out and acknowledge it. And then the next thing I had to do was start listening for the types of things that it said to me. Now, luckily, our negative voices, you know, our inner critics tend to tell us the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's, you know, giving me 300 different words of advice, right? If you are not good enough, you are an imposter, you are an idiot, you know, that sort of thing. Those are three common themes for, for so many of us. And then once you start to become aware of the types of things that it says, what I learned how to do is disrupt it. So I learned a system called The Work. Um, It's a woman named Byron Katie, and you can go and find out about thework.com online. Mm -hmm. And it's just a system of four questions that we can ask ourselves whenever we have a painful, stressful thought. So painful, stressful thoughts tend to come from this inner critic. What
0: would be an example of those questions?
3: If you ask yourself, can I, in a court of law, 100% know that that thought is true. Right. And you'll want so often to say, yes, because there's comfort in being right. But if you really think about it, even just more than 10 seconds, there will be a shadow of doubt that gets cast. And once we let a little crack of light in, Mm -hmm. then we can start digging into it through um, a system of inquiry. That was the game changer for me was to stop accepting these thoughts on autopilot and to stop letting them run my life.
0: So the good news is it can be disrupted. And like Claire says, we just have to get better at asking ourselves if it's really true. Another one of Byron Katie's questions is asking yourself, what happens when you believe it's true? If you're like Junie, you may believe that someone else out there is more capable than you. She held on to that belief for a long time and then she finally decided to let it go. In the end, it wasn't true. Now back to Claire. Claire, in your book, you reference some of the unconscious biases that get in our way, and one of them was a confirmation bias, where we tend to pay attention to the things that confirm our beliefs. We end up making stories about these beliefs, and most of them aren't even true half the time. Can you say more about that?
3: There's a lot of work being done right now on unconscious bias. Um, more and more businesses are understanding that 95% of people's brain activity is based on irrational thinking. It's not based on rational thought. So much of the decision-making that we do and the things that we say are driven by emotion right. or they're driven by habits or they're driven by what we think we should say or they're driven by you know what other people say or what we did last time. Um, But then there's also dozens and dozens of biases that are built into our thinking, Mm -hmm. like the confirmation bias, like the loss aversion bias, where we are hardwired to prefer um, gains over losses. We spend so much time in that I can't lose. And we don't spend any time thinking about like, well, if I let that go, what might I get instead? Mm -hmm. Because we're creatures of habit and we don't like change.
0: Thank you for explaining that. It's good to understand that these biases are in a way just built into our thinking and we're not alone in feeling that way. So Claire, I want to shift gears now for a moment. I've shared with you some of the work that we're doing at TK to elevate our TK leadership commitments and there are a set of three simple pillars that are aimed to help us all be more intentional about doing the right thing, creating connections and delivering results both individually and collectively as an organization what are your thoughts on these behaviors and do any of them resonate with you?
3: Yeah. So I want to tell you a little story about um, the first one, integrity. And a long time ago, uh, before I even started doing any of this, this work, I read a book called the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's basically four rules to live your life by. There's a million different books like this, but mm-hmm. one of his four rules is be impeccable with your word. Right. And Intuitively, I thought that makes a lot of sense. I want to be the sort of person that is impeccable with my word. I don't want to promise on things and then don't deliver on them. You know, I don't want to lie to people. I don't, I don't even want to be the sort of person that like over-exaggerates to make a better story. I don't right. want to be that person. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to fall into those traps. So the way that this was brought home to me was um, I had a coach, and I would often be five or ten minutes late to our sessions. And he one day, uh, this happened maybe five or six times, and then he said, I've noticed that you are a few minutes late to our sessions, and we've agreed upon a particular time. And at first I said, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. Um, yeah, I will do a better job at, And you know, and I just kind of brushed it off. And he said, I just want you to understand what being, being late means. He said, if you say you're going to be somewhere at a particular time, and you don't hold to that. That means that you can't even trust your own words. Hmm. And if you can't trust your own words, you won't be able to trust anybody else's words. Right. And that w- that just hit home for me. Yeah, I thought, for sure. yeah. I, I cannot be a person who doesn't trust my own words. Because then there's all sorts of other stuff about myself that I don't trust.
0: Yes, such great advice. If we can't trust our own word, how will anyone else trust us?
3: So Claire, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners today? The importance of making yourself vulnerable and opening up to someone. Like writing the book, I now recognize was an act of vulnerability. There were days where I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, what am I doing? I can't possibly put this out there. I'm going to be so embarrassed. I I can't bear to have people understand this stuff about me. Um, but in being open about it, I was able to learn so much about myself and I was able to show others how many of us share these same thoughts and these same um, these same emotions and, and the way that we talk to ourselves. And so uh, making ourselves vulnerable by talking about this sort of stuff is what leads to close strong friendships, which is really all any of us want at the end of the day, right? right. Like be connected yeah. to other people, be love and to love.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. So your book, uh, The Achiever Fever Cure, How I Learned to Stop Striving Myself Crazy, where can people find it?
3: Uh, You can find it in all the chapters of Indigo store, of course on Amazon, and some of the independent bookstores have it as well.
0: Claire helps us understand our inner critic has spun a lifetime of stories, most of which are not even true. While it's often hard to drown them out, the good news is we have the power to take control of it. Firstly, by recognizing what it's saying, and then practicing a simple system of self-inquiry to really question if it's true. As Claire says, we all have the power to change the story and stop letting these thoughts run on autopilot to run our lives. Let's connect back with Junie now and talk more about learning in her new role, her focus areas, and some of the leaders who have inspired her along
1: the way. It's probably not so much new learning, but it has forced me to reacquainted with the type of leader that I want to be. Well, at the end of the day, it all boils down to service. My personal goal, I think, as a leader is first and foremost to be replaceable. If I aim for that, then I'm able to pass on all the knowledge and skills that I have to next generation of people right. who can perform you know bigger roles in the future and the other thing that I also came up with was that I wanted to be forgettable I know it's probably (laughs) odd to be hearing about it right Um, if I do that then I will ensure that I give ample opportunities to the people um, to learn and develop themselves and to be more confident in themselves and when they start feeling that way that that removes you from the picture, they become more engaged and empowered and, you know, more confident to take bigger responsibilities. And once you see that um, happening to people, I think there's no greater source of fulfillment. So Junie, tell me a
0: little bit about who's informed or inspired you to be a great leader. Are there people out there that you connect
1: with? Um, there's there's probably no one particular person per se that influences perhaps my leadership style but what I think I do is just take bits and pieces from family of, of friends and leaders that I've also worked with previously and then take what I can apply in the current role that I have like more familiar names I am drawn more to female leaders perhaps like Oprah who has taken all the past bad experiences as fuel to go for success and then pay it forward. And then there's Michelle Obama also, who has advocacies on health and education that are really remarkable. And at that time she was not just a first lady, but she has also developed a name for herself. She is really one inspiring leader. Well if you can think about movies too um, there's Wonder Woman, of course. <laughs> what What is it about Wonder Woman? Well, there's uh, there's a lot uh, that we can draw inspiration from, partic- particularly in her character in the movie. Like she always stands for doing the right thing, and then also, of course, for telling the truth. She has that loss of truth. And then there's one one scene that stuck with me. There, it's the first time that she was tasting ice cream, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think it gives us that message that the it is also very important that we appreciate the little things. Yeah. So those are just some of the role models, perhaps. But there's a lot of people and circumstances that we can take inspiration from in terms of how we can become better leaders for the teams that we're responsible for.
0: Yeah, I have one final question for you. And it's mostly in relation to the Tiki leadership commitments that we've been rolling out across the organization. And I'm interested to know, where are you gravitating to for your leadership growth areas around doing the right thing, creating connections, or delivering results? Is there something that's standing out for you more than
1: another? Um, I think with the, my change in role, it's the area of creating connections that I, I feel I should, I should be more deliberate about it because um, with the increase in scope and with a lot of global initiatives that are ongoing and a number of items that of course we need to deliver on and achieve um, it can be demanding of the time yes. and it's possible that the connection part takes a back seat. so that I feel is something that we need to always be conscious about and um, be creative on how we can achieve it.
0: As a leader, it's important to Junie that her team feels empowered, confident, and motivated. She focuses on getting out of their way and allowing them to do their best work. Junie's taking big, brave leaps to accelerate her leadership journey by believing in herself, dampening the voices in her head, and thriving from the genuine support of those around her. Her story reminds me that all great leaps, big or small, start with the courage to trust our instincts, and the rest will follow. What's on your radar? Where's your next big step or leap taking you? Until next time, thanks for listening.